Bennett Miller is a director of exceptional discipline, whose control over the medium enables him to tease out themes and ideas in a way that few others can. His camera rarely moves, his use of music is just as sparing, and his editing never draws attention to itself. All that allows us, the audience, to focus on the performances. And in doing that, Miller never places one thing directly beside another, so as to create an obvious contrast. Instead, he places such disparate elements far apart, so that it is only on reflection that you notice any connection. He made his debut in 2005 with Capote, a story that focused on Truman Capote's research into the murder of a Kansas family in 1959. I'm ready. I have a plane to catch. I found your sister in Tacoma. Maybe she'll talk to me about something useful. Please don't go out there. This is my work, Perry. I'm working. And when you want to tell me what I need to hear, you let me know. The resulting book, In Cold Blood, now serves as a landmark in American literature. But towards the end of the film, we see Capote's personality beginning to fray. And in the ensuing years, he drank away his talent in an endless search for greater fame and adulation. In 2011, Miller directed his second feature film, Moneyball, about Billy Bean, who never realised his full potential as a Major League Baseball player, but who, as a manager of the Oakland A's, created a low-budget side that got to the final of the World Series, and in doing so, almost revolutionised the game. We all understand what the problem is. We have to replace... Okay, good. What's the problem? The problem is we have to replace three key players in our lineup. What's the problem? Same as it's ever been. We've got to replace these guys with what we have existing. No, what's the problem, Barry? We need 38 home runs, 120 RBIs, and 47 doubles to replace. The problem we're trying to solve is that there are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. It's an unfair game. Side by side, these two films appear to have little in common. However, with the release of Miller's third film, Foxcatcher, we can see a subtle yet powerful theme emerging from his work. Foxcatcher begins with Mark Schultz as he leaves his meagre apartment to deliver a speech before a group of young schoolchildren. His address is to explain to them all the discipline, talent and effort required to succeed. Mark is a wrestler, and between himself and his older brother Dave, they won two Olympic gold and nine world championship medals. But, as Mark delivers his speech, the children look at him nonplussed, as if wondering what sort of success he has achieved. Sure, he is a champion and he's wearing his gold medal, but where is the real reward? The money, the fame, the adulation? Okay, the children may not ask that question, but we are encouraged to ask it because after Mark has finished speaking, the school secretary cuts him a cheque for the sum of $20. Unless you're performing in that disgraceful circus otherwise known as the WWE, wrestling does not pay well. Even at their best, the greatest wrestlers in the world are hardly paid at all. Instead, they aim for the Olympics, and in order to get there, they need to secure a sponsorship. You... Do you have any idea who I am? No. no. Some rich guy calls you on the phone. I want Mark Schultz to come visit me 
well, I'm a, I'm a wrestling coach and I have a deep love the sport of wrestling. And I wanted to speak with you about your future, about what you hope to achieve. What do you hope to achieve, Mark? Enter the plutocratic John E. DuPont, son of a family whose wealth reaches into the billions. Such money buys considerable influence and pathetic reverence, which was how John E. DuPont weaseled his way into coaching the American wrestling team at the 1988 Seoul Olympics. A capable philatelist, conchologist and orthonologist he may have been, but when it came to wrestling and even coaching, DuPont was unworthy of the sport. Yet there he was in Seoul, claiming to be not just the leader and coach of the US team, but the mentor and father figure of what he considered to be his team. Mother, I am leading men. I am training them. I am teaching them. I am giving them a dream, and I am giving America hope. More than that, John E. DuPont liked to say that the initial E, which really stood for Elither, stood for Eagle. In order to understand this oddity, we need to know that the DuPonts are one of America's wealthiest and most influential families. Their $15 billion fortune comes from chemical manufacturing, and their influence stretches to the highest echelons of American politics. In 2013 alone, they paid down over $10 million for access to Washington's Senate and House of Congress. Further to that, we need to understand that the eagle is a symbol for the United States. It is golden. It soars high above the mountains and the prairies. In other words, as heir to that wealth and influence, John E. DuPont saw himself not only as a breed apart, but a set above everyone else. I'm a little concerned that there are some psychological issues that we need to take care of. Uh, I think he's going to be in real good shape. Well, I think you're doing a great job. Thank you, John. And I think that with you and I mm-hmm. working in tandem, if we can't get him there, no one can. Mark, get back. So... What links Foxcatcher to Capote and Moneyball? Already fated for his talents, Truman Capote's fame and adulation could not quench his thirst for yet more recognition. In Moneyball, Billy Bean challenged a mindset that believes only money can buy success, when in actual fact it is crippling America's mythological game. In Foxcatcher, we see an heir to a billion dollar fortune who believes that he is restoring America's position in the world when in actual fact he is trying to secure fame and recognition by feeding off the talents and efforts of other people. Mark, what's, uh, what's he get out of all this? Mr. Yeah. America, winning. It can't have been easy for the writers Dan Futterman and E. Max Fry to mine those themes from the story. But however hard they toiled, and they certainly succeeded, it was not easy for the actors either. Here is Channing Tatum, who plays Mark Schultz, talking about his experiences with Mark Ruffalo, who plays his brother Dave, while Steve Carell plays DuPont. I think, I think Ben would be okay with me saying that most movies, you know, like you get done and you do like, you know, an interview like this, and you're like, ah, movies are so much fun. Like we just had some, this movie was not fun at all. <laughs> like, 
it pretty much sucked. But however hard it was for everyone on the set, it appears that it was even harder for Miller to finish the film once the shooting had stopped. My first cut was four and a half hours, and um, it's, uh, you know, you can't make a four and a half hour film. You know, the edit went on for about a year, and uh, at one point I was uh, alone in a closet size edit with no windows. Um, editors were on uh, a short hiatus. And um, it was like New York in a frozen December, and, um, I just thought, how am I going to win this? You get a little stir-crazy. As was very clear from his first film, Miller is able to draw out superb performances from his actors, and Foxcatcher only adds to that glittering gallery. David, we have a lot of work to do in the next couple of months, and you're an integral part of that. You understand? I understand. I'm going to need you. And... uh, I will be relying on you to a great extent. I want more than anything to win a gold medal. And we have someone who could do that. And we're going to win a gold medal. Rarely will you see a film that possesses just below its surface such a seething and literally fatal anger. But what is interesting about the film is that the resentment comes not from those without wealth and privilege, but DuPont himself. Let's be clear, Foxcatcher is not really about sport. It is about money and the social divisions that are continually dug between those who have and those who have not. Wrestling is just the arena, the metaphor where this unusual struggle is played out. But if you don't believe me, just note the reaction that comes when Dave asks John Dupont to reward Mark for his dedication, discipline and world-beating talents. And then note the manner with which Mark is treated when he does not win in the Olympics. In addition to that, consider a scene that occurs late in the film, where we see Dupont sitting alone on his porch, looking out over the horse fields that make up just part of the 200-acre family estate. While Dupont sits sipping his preferred whiskey, we hear a song being sung. But the music is not coming from within the scene. There is no radio or stereo playing this record. Instead, it is a song that Bennett Miller has chosen to lay over the images. If ever there was a line or a song that ran completely contrary to Dupont's plutocratic view of the world and all the obscene sense of entitlement that goes with it, it is this song. This land is your land and this land is my land From California to the New York Island From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters This land was made for you and me. And finally, for good measure, compare the opening idealistic speech that Mark gave to those schoolchildren and then consider the ending, where he climbs into the ring to partake in the exploitative, money-raking, blood-sucking blood sport, otherwise known as cage fighting. Foxcatcher is bleak, but it is brilliant. I roamed and rambled and I followed my footsteps to the sparkling sands of her diamond deserts. All around me, a voice was a sounding. This land was made for you and me.